changing your corner of the universe change the world? We think so. You've heard the quote, be the change you want to see in the world. But what does that look like? This is where we meet the people that are walking that out. One person, one idea, one decision at a time. Here's Baden and Rex. All right, welcome back to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we had Mike from Living Lands and Waters joining us. And they are an organization that's been around since the 90s and really kind of a, a cool project that not only they've done, but they've really expanded and over the years turned into quite an operation cleaning up uh, rivers that normally people would just drive by and see a tire or whatever on the side of the river and wouldn't even think twice, but they're taking all that stuff out. I love what they're doing. Yeah, you guys are going to love this story. Um, after hearing it, if you live anywhere in the Midwest, I'm sure you're probably going to want to reach out to these guys and volunteer because not only is what they're doing so impactful of cleaning up these rivers, but they also make it super fun and enjoyable to go volunteer. Um, and you guys, I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen like these garbage islands in the ocean or like yeah. you said, you're driving by the river and you see garbage and sometimes we just take it for granted that it's there, but it doesn't have to be there. And these guys are doing something about it. You know, the story of the the founder, Chad, just from literally a guy in a boat, you know, dragging things onto his boat to clean up the river to now multiple barges. And it's an incredible story and incredible organization. Yeah, they have a great YouTube and their website is awesome. Uh, really kind of gives you a, a good scope of the amount of garbage and things that they've taken out of these rivers and they planted over 1.5 million trees, I think is what he said. So enjoy the episode. And if you haven't, make sure you are subscribing. So you get our updates every week. And if you like the episode, share it with other people that you think might like it. And if you're feeling extra super generous, make sure you go over to iTunes and give us a rating that really helps us out. We appreciate it. So enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we are joined by Mike Coyne-Logan. He is with just an incredible organization um, that I'm so excited for you guys to learn more about of what they're doing. We all have seen pictures of pollution, um, garbage in the oceans, garbage in the rivers, and Mike is with an organization that is directly working on solving that problem. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear about Living Lands and Waters and what it is that they're doing. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Appreciate it. Of course, of course. Well, first off, just so we can catch everybody up who's listening to the podcast, tell us a little bit about Living Lands and Waters, um, how it started, and where you guys are at now. For sure, yeah. So Living Lands and Waters, is uh, our main focus is is river cleanups. And it was started by... Uh, my friend and boss, uh, Chad Pergracki, uh, and Chad grew up right on the Mississippi River. Um, literally, his parents' house was like 15 feet from the Mississippi River, and he played and um, you know hung out on the river, worked on the river as a commercial shell diver initially, diving for, for mussel shells and uh, camping on islands with his older brothers in the summers during high school and college, diving to the bottom and just feeling around for these shells. And... Uh, Anyway, it was through that, all his time spent out there um, working and growing up on the river, he noticed there was this problem. There was all this trash and he wanted to do something about it. So at a young age, he started making calls to officials in the government, uh, specifically like the state of Illinois, where he's from. And they all kind of told him no for a variety of different reasons. You know, first off, him being so young to take on such a huge task, but there was, you know, all these different reasons. You know, some were more like open to listening to him, but 
and then they you know he couldn't get anything going. And essentially what happened is he was in college and his roommates had a NASCAR race on TV and he was like, wait, you know, they have sponsors. Why wouldn't somebody, you know, they sponsor someone to make a bunch of left turns. Why not sponsor someone, <laughs> you know, clean up the river. And he started with that and he was able to get one sponsor. Um, and you know, a lot of people turned him down there too. It wasn't like people were like, okay, some kid, I mean, he literally, I think, you know, he had these grand grandiose ideas and all this energy. And he's one of those guys that just doesn't take no for an answer. And finally got one sponsor and was like an $8,400 grant and literally started picking up trash by himself that first year um, with his John boat. That's like, like, I think it was like 20 some feet wow. and just getting what he could by himself. And then got some media coverage from the local newspaper, from the local newspaper. This story went out through the Associated Press and, major news um, networks got a hold of it and started, you know, giving him airplay on his story and his mission. And that helped really propel, you know, bring attention to what he was doing, legitimize what he was doing, show the magnitude of the problem. And he was able to build off that. Um, to now fast forward to today, over 20 years later, there's a crew of us, 13 of us, full-time crew members. A lot of us live on our barge. We have five barges. Wow. Uh, one is a house barge and also a floating classroom. And we live on there about seven months um, on and off out of the year. Wow. wow. I want to look at the beginning days you're talking about. So was he, I mean, just trying to get a picture in my mind. I mean, he's just a guy on a boat or like basically what someone could imagine a, you know, a 20 foot fishing boat, more or less kind of that him and maybe one other person, he's literally jumping off the boat, diving, swimming, grabbing a tire, hauling it to the boat. Is that, is that kind of how the early days were? Yeah, it was just, so what's interesting in the beginning is, uh, you know, it was just him by himself. And it was, uh, the thing he ran into early is he'd get all this stuff, but how to get rid of it properly. Mm -hmm. Because that takes a lot of time in itself. And it would just be him by himself. And in some places, you know, local towns, he'd have a couple of dumpsters, one for like scrap metal for recycling, one for just trash. Right. And then another, uh, you know, tires he would separate to be repurposed. But that even costs money. This is before we had like hookups. Like right now, Bridgestone's a sponsor. They take all our tires for free. I mean, we get on average like over 3,000 tires we pull out of the river. Wow. Is that one of the, mo the most items you guys pull out of the river is tires? It's plastic, just plastic, plastic. Items in general. I mean, tires is up there, but just so many different things. I mean, this is anybody that's paid attention to the the ongoing pollution facing our oceans and, and rivers is probably more than aware of it. You know, just the the amount of things that are just made in plastic and a lot of single use plastics. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, anyways, you know, so uh, with this, he was like, after a few years, like, you know what I need? I need a barge. And he had the idea of, I think it was a barge, um, you know, in, like they ran out of space to put stuff. It was from years ago, like in New York or something, or I can't remember where. And he's like, he wanted, because he could store stuff for a long time, but it also was like created this awareness when you pulled into a town and you had this barge full of trash people, like did all that come from the river? Yeah. Like, yeah because it's out there, but you really, it's not like, it's spread out and, and like it gets flooded in the, the woodlands near the river or it's buried in mud a little bit, you know, or it's in shallow water. So you see it, but you don't until you actually get out there really understand the magnitude of the problem in different places. 
Yeah, that's, gosh, it's so good when you mentioned that because there is true, there's so much pollution that's out there and you don't see it. I mean, some of the things that you guys are pulling out of the of the rivers is insane. I mean, I'm watching some of the videos and luckily we can maybe talk about that a little bit later, the kind of partnership with John Deere and the big excavator you guys have, but, you know, literally pulling cars out or, or appliances, things that were, I'm sure, not even an option to get out of the river in the early days. Now you guys can take these big, heavy items out of the river as well. Yeah. And you be, I mean, a lot of the stuff you would just muscle in, um, even in the early days, eventually, you know, we started building more of these, these uh, aluminum plate John boats. We have six of them now, but about 30 feet long, they're double hold. Um, but you can put a lot of weight in those things. And, and even refrigerators, you know, they'll float because, you know, they're insulated with styrofoam. You can maneuver one into a John boat. Um, and, and some of these bigger items, you know, you, you can get pretty creative and getting pretty heavy items, but some of the stuff, you know, once it gets to be like a simple thing that the excavator is great for is, is these 55 gallon plastic barrels. Yeah. Um, you know, if they're empty, it's fine. But the problem is they get a little hole in them and they, you know, just a little crack and they fill with water or mud. I mean, a 55 gallon barrel full of water is like almost 500 pounds. Wow. Right. So unless you have the equipment to cut it up, a sawzall, but then you're splitting that other plastic with the excavator, you can just crush it, you know, shake that mud or, you know, put up, you know, squeeze it till you crack it and can get the mud and water out of there and shake it and then put it on our barge. Whereas before some of that stuff or, or like the cars obviously are heavy steel mm-hmm. stuff that's really heavy that would just would be impossible before we had that, that equipment. And what, what rivers are you guys working in? Is it just the Mississippi or are there multiple rivers that you guys are doing this on? We've worked on a total of 24 different rivers. Um, okay. That's awesome. And from, um, you know, Minneapolis to New Orleans on the Mississippi. Um, we've worked out east on the Delaware River, the the, the East River uh, in New York, um, the Anacostia, the Potomac around D.C. and Maryland, uh, a lot on the Ohio River, uh, the Tennessee River, the Illinois, the Missouri um, and, and really, and I could go on and on, you know, I don't want to list all these rivers. Yeah. So are you guys, are you guys actually going down to the, to the basically ocean mouth and going out? Or are you just going through tributaries off the, obviously the Mississippi is such a massive river and has so many tributaries. Is that kind of the way you're, you're going through all these rivers? Or are you actually leaving the Mississippi and going in other routes? Uh, you know, just, you know, our base, we're based, our headquarters on the Mississippi river, mm-hmm. but we just, you know, a lot of these rivers are connected for example, right now our barge is on uh, the Mississippi River in Memphis, and with everything going on, we're just trying to get a ride. Another thing that's tricky is we're trying to get up north to keep our we, we set a schedule, but it can always be flipped upside down based on and not just the COVID nineteen thing, but just you know which rides uh-huh. save on fuel and, and, and be more efficient because it costs a lot of money just to pay a captain and the fuel you go through to push our barge to a certain location. So. Uh, trying to logistically work out with some of our sponsors in the, in the Marine industry to get us to where we got to go. It's tough with everything going on. And then if the waters are high, it makes it different, difficult. If you're going, if you have to go up river versus down river with the current. Yeah. So there's all these different factors. Um, but anyways, you know, like the, the Mississippi you can go to Cairo and then you can go up the Ohio, um, the Illinois river, like around St. Louis comes in, you know, you just 
So a lot of these are tributaries. Is that answering your question? Yeah, yeah, it, it does. And I guess the other question I was thinking, because these barges, from what I've seen, are so big. I mean, yeah, they, have to, those barges. they have to stay on the water, right? They're not going, they, you know, there's, yeah, not, they, there's, no, there's no trailer, you know, that you're putting these things No, and, and that's the thing. Like our boats, we trailer up. Like sometimes we do our cleanups on these 30, with these 30-foot giant boats and leave our barges there. Like our barges are down in uh, Memphis. We just finished our alternative spring break, which was cut short because of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, there, uh, we take our boats, we took all our John boats back up here and that way we can go out. What's going to be tough is not being able to work with volunteers until everything kind of calms down, mm-hmm. but we can still go out as a crew and smaller crews and go out and get stuff, um, on our own. Um, and that's what we'll probably do once we get through this tree thing. And that thing's been, even this whole million trees project, we, we literally, we have to depend, we depend so much on volunteers and that's just out the window. So we're, you know, we're doing a lot of more of this work ourselves, which is, you know, like everybody is adjusting and adapting to what, what's going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. Talk real quick about that million tree uh, so, program. So uh, what we focus on is uh, primarily oaks mm-hmm. uh, because they provide a really, they're native to the Midwest region. We distribute them throughout the Midwest and some even farther South, but um, basically picking a, a tree trees, different oak species that are that, that grow really big. And they also are a great food source with the, the acorns they produce for wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we chose those trees. And then we plant some of the trees ourselves, but a lot of it is just giving it to schools, give it to churches, uh, give it to our, our sponsors, employees for them to plant, give it to, to people that own like land out on farmland and just, giving them the trees to plant but this we give all these trees away for free and this year is our biggest year of 165,000 trees we have to get out wow so logistically we usually do the deliveries but this year we're trying to we're just trying to be as safe as possible and we're trying to set up things we have sponsors through FedEx and luckily we have great connections but even then that's going to cost more money and trying to manage and adjust it's it's still a big uh big task to take on when you're trying to get all this, you know, logistically get distribute all these trees. Yeah, that's good. And so every year you guys kind of set a goal with the trees and is it, uh, so initially, yeah, initially we started, we're trying to get to a million trees. We surpassed that. I think we're going to be almost at 1.5 almost or a little under by the end of this year. Amazing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But really, really, it's really, you know, it's cool. Like, you know, it's just, uh, you know, planting trees and then seeing them grow. Like he talked about the redwood. I know I, I think I got like a free like evergreen or mm-hmm. something when I was a kid from McDonald's. It was still <laughs> at my parents' house and you awesome. know, like 40 feet tall now. It's, it's pretty, you know, 30, 30, 40 feet tall. And it, it's just cool to watch that stuff grow. And it just feels, I mean, I know it's cheesy and maybe you say, but it just feels good to plant a tree. Yeah, Definitely. And I, I see that some of the work that you guys do is also the removal of invasive species as well. Is that correct? That is correct. So we work with uh, different entities. Uh, uh, we also do restoration work. We're doing like a, one is a part. So we work with a, a forest preserve. We've done a lot of invasive species of a thing called a honeysuckle, uh, which is was brought here from initially as a decorative plant. Um, and it's one of those things that it greens really quick and it, it has a, it greens first and it's lo- lost to lose its leaves, but it just covers out the understory of a forest and it disallows native wild 
forest woodland flowers to grow or other native tree saplings. Um, and it just chokes out everything, the bottom understory of a forest. And it's producing these berries that birds like, but uh, it's kind of like gummy bears. You know, they taste good, but they're not, their nutrition value is really good. <laughs> um, and, and, and there's other things about them too, you know, but like I said, it greens first and it just shades out that understory. So it doesn't allow the native trees to grow. And it's just, it's, it's, it just chokes out that forest. Um, and another one we've dealt with is like purple loose strife, garlic mustard, and, and the same principle. There's these things that just take over. They're not native from here. They just choke out all the native plant life in a forest. And one of the cool things we did is uh, we're working on now back home is on a clover leaf. There's so much. See, that's, that's what I love about Chad, you know, in, in the organization and, and what I think people gravitate. One is that he's a lot of fun. You know, he makes it fun. He creates an atmosphere of fun. And just the, I could go into depth about the, the crazy <laughs> links that we do to make things fun, which would kind of be maybe more interesting. And we're going to get to that. But the other thing is that, uh, um, you know, we're, it's easy to, you know, there's a lot of problems, but where he's, there's problems, he sees opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, or, or an opportunity to, to fix this problem. Like, you know, look at all these like clover leaves where there's these open grassland and, why don't we plant some native prairie there? Why don't we take out that, that invasive and replant prairie? And what if you could duplicate that, you know, everywhere or look at all this plastic, you know, let's take that plastic out. Let's look for partners and look for opportunities, not only just get out of the river, but then also repurpose and recycle the plastic that we get. Um, and creating these partnerships, for example, like John Deere is taking some of that plastic now to make, um, the bumpers and fenders on their John Deere Gator. Um, that's cool. And, and yeah, that's what's cool. It's easy to problems, but it's also, you know, working with him, you're, it's cool to see and, and get this mindset like he does. Like, that's not necessarily a problem, but that's an opportunity to create, you know, solutions. Yeah, that's, that. yeah that's awesome. I Talk a little bit about that, about, because I think that's something logistically, I know I was thinking, how does that work is the separation of, all this stuff you guys pull out, you know, separation of metal, plastics, and then where, you know, rubber, and then talk a little bit, you know, you talked a little bit about Bridgestone and John Deere and just how that works of how you guys have found really innovative ways to have those things repurposed and recycled. Um, it, it, it's, it's a process, right? Like early on in the beginning, it was just, you know, sort metal, sort tires, put all the trash, bag trash here, the bag trash and the plastic in the beginning would just get thrown out, mm-hmm. you know, unless we like repurposed the barrel or here or there, you know, sorted some things out of there. But then we're like, man, what can we do to recycle this stuff? And it's, you know, we get so much stuff that we try to do some sort in the beginning, but to have volunteers like, okay, just put recyclables in one bag. It's really tricky. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we created events called recycle like a rock star where we take <laughs> bags and we create these long like tables and just put like plywood and two by, you know, sixes or two by twelves on them as railings. We dump the stuff out and then we create like a garbage can to the left and right of like these events are like, you know, hundreds of 200 volunteers and That's they cool. sort out what can be recycled and what can't. Because, you know, we get a lot of styrofoam that's really not recyclable or stuff that's too dirty or just random things or items that are not recyclable, but we've really gotten down this process of uh, every year of making this better and, and, and perfecting 
and creating these partnerships with like Bridgestone, with like John Deere to find outlets to, to get this stuff recycled. Um, uh, it's like, you know, you know, we're a nonprofit environmental group, but even ourselves, there's a lot of room for us to improve as far as being quote greener, you know, and more sustainable. That's cool though. Recycle like a rock star. <laughs> I love it. We just play music. We've brought bands in before and, and that goes back to just the whole, I mean, literally this is one thing we had an idea for like for cleanups. My wife used to work at a, a tuck shop and we have a connection. We're like, you know what? What if we had one guy on the crew, we call him Hoppy or uh, Derek anyways, his name's Derek, but we all have <laughs> nicknames. And uh, like, what if we got him like a butler costume? And for a cleanup, we had him like dressed as a butler, serving people hors d'oeuvres like, during the cleanup. <laughs> and then we also got like a red carpet. And we were Wait, did he him. did he know he was in on this, or did you guys? Uh, no, we he went he went in and literally went down and like he sent us a photo. And it's now like when when he calls, it comes up his photo. And he got because <laughs> he like he's very good at playing that character. And yeah. Uh, so that's just, I mean, and just other stuff like uh, I'll play like a cleanups, like a coach that comes in and gives these ridiculous, nonsensical, motivational speeches. Yeah. And that, and then from that evolved, Chad's wife's like, well, the coach needs an arch nemesis. So like for alternative spring break, we like created these like skits and storylines every day. And then, yeah, his arch nemesis could be the ref. And literally the ref will come out to like, the second day will come out to like out of a, on a hill. I'm just getting done, like giving a like motivational speech. And he's like, he comes out to like the undertaker's theme song. <laughs> and there's a whole backstory to like, it's gotten, it's gotten more ridiculous and weirder every year. <laughs> I don't know if it's so much for the volunteers or it's more for us, but this is just kind of the atmosphere that Chad has created to make it fun because at the end of the day, it's just going out there and I could go on and on about the crazy, stupid, like, T-shirt guns to creating a catapult to act like we launched Chad's dog pork chop into the river. Um, <laughs> no, that's all – all that stuff is good because you're right. You know, it's it, – it's, it obviously is great to get volunteers and they want to go out and help clean up. But it can – I'm sure it could get mundane if all it is is just quiet. You go out there, you pick stuff up. Yeah. And even – and also not just for volunteers but also for you guys. You know, I'm sure this – like you were talking about, makes it much more fun and entertaining for you guys every single day. Because otherwise, I could see this as something that totally helps stop burnout from happening. Because you could totally get burnt out on doing the same. Oh, we have another group of volunteers. Let's bring them out. And even though the work you're doing is great, you're just like, all right, let's do this again, do this again. And now you actually have like something exciting, something new, something different yeah. that gets everybody engaged. So it's, I think it's a great idea. It, it's exactly it is, and it's and it's it starts with Chad and his energy and his sense of humor to create this atmosphere. And I think another powerful part of the organization and his vision is, you know, it's trying to get everybody on board and, you know, you have these in, you have these environment. I mean, you already have like, you don't want to just preach to the choir, right? You have them like an environmental group that their logo is like a Pelican or, you know, something he's like, you know, green the new green is red white and blue Mm -hmm. you know because it really is a patriotic thing to make it patriotic because you've already because that's what's cool is seeing just the different demographics and different groups of people that you get together and 
and yeah, it's just a cleanup, you know, but um, I think it connects people and that's the power of it because through like everybody appreciates when you do hard work together, it creates that connection and it creates then a platform for people to be willing to listen to you when it comes to other things in the future. And I think yeah, that's, that's good. Cool, kind of the real genius uh, of Chad and, and not being coming off as this pretentious self-righteous. I mean, we're just regular dudes and girls and guys that's out there. We're, we're, I feel lucky to be a part of it, but just trying to do something good. But, you know, I think a lot of people are looking for outlet outlets like that, you know, definitely to, to do positive things and to create that is, is that opportunity is, is, is what's, what's really, and to make it fun. How long have you been a, a part of the organization? Years. Okay. And so uh, have you seen, uh, you know, on some of these areas where you go clean up afterwards, you know, a couple of years later, do you still see the, the impact that that initial cleanup makes? Yeah. Always um, from the spot, just being cleaner, but also other groups kind of take it responsibility of that section of the river and other entities smaller river cleanup groups being kind of inspired by chad and his story to start up their own like cleanup groups for that area um, we also have like an adopt a river mile program that we give people signs and they just have to do those cleanups um but you know sometimes you know in some of these places you just in order to get to the spots that 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 we go to and get the amount of stuff and get that. You need, you need like an operation like ourselves uh, right. to, to, to just get, really get it done because it can just be daunting and overwhelming. Yeah. Otherwise. Um, I have, but, but yeah, uh, definitely. And then that's the other cool part is like uh, not only doing these cleanups, but having these educational workshops, because what we do is reactive, but to be proactive is, is going into these towns and have students come out and, and, and see what we do, get a tour of our barge. And that they, I mean, I think right away they're kind of like, they, they buy in a little quicker because they're out of their element. They're like, man, these guys are really doing it. They see the trash. Mm-hmm. You a lot of times go out with them, then do a cleanup and have a discussion about what they see. And you can just see when stuff clicks for people. Right. Right. If that makes sense, you can see, their reaction is everybody no, but you definitely can tell when kids are like, yeah, most of the stuff that's out here is stuff that maybe we couldn't use in the first place, like reducing our use of these single use plastic items, or it could have been recycled, um, making the connection with them that this isn't just stuff dumped directly in the river. 80% of the stuff is just litter that, right. Oh, neighborhood that works its way into our waterways but analyzing you know like a lot of people like the whole campaign like the straw thing oh Mm. it's just straws like and people will say you know well it's such a small percentage of the plastic pollution and it is it's like a quarter of one percent but just get that gives you an idea that because then but here it gives you an idea of the magnitude of the problem yeah wow i didn't know that's crazy so and we find lots of plastic straws, but the magnitude of the problem, that's a quarter of 1% of the plastic pollution out there. But 500 million straws are used every day in the United States. 
we laid those in and that would circle the globe like two to three times. And that's mm-hmm. an item that really we don't need to use. We've just been, you know, without thinking, I put my plastic lid on my cup, I put mm-hmm. this on. Or, you know, I use these items. I use them once for maybe, what, 20 minutes? And then it's thrown away and it's out of sight, out of mind, but that's going to sit in the landfill forever. And yeah, yeah that's right. a small plastic item. But that gives you an idea of all the other plastic that we use on a daily basis, you know? Yeah, because you just... What's going to be like how we close the loop? Like I just read Nat Geo. I mean, two-thirds of the things that we extract just get wasted. Mm-hmm. Something, crazy. something crazy like that, you know? It's yeah, like, that is crazy. You know, you spend all this energy to extract. It just doesn't... It's not a, it's not a good... It just doesn't make sense. You know, you can still make money and do the right thing, you know, and, and it's creating these connections, right? Yeah. And I think you mentioned that with just a good visualization when you talk about the, the plastic straw situation and, you know, obviously controversial issue of people think it's dumb or people think it's, it's great, whatever. But you said, hey, this is how many straws are put out there and it could circle around the globe. And this is one quarter of 1%. So I hear that and I'm thinking, wow, like, Look at how look at our consumer society of the one-time use goods that we use, and yeah. if a, if somebody can make a documentary on how bad a straw is, and it is, but if that's one quarter of one percent, think of everything else yeah. that we're using on these yeah. one-time throwaway consumer goods that are just you know, yeah. like for um, example, the, one of the bit and get get to something else a little bit bigger, but like bottled water. Yeah, quite I was gonna possibly, say those. Yeah, yeah. Quite possibly the biggest hustle since Pet Rocks. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, I just read a thing, and this is Consumer Reports: sixty percent of bottled water is tap water put in a bottle and just sold. Right. Yeah, yeah. And they've done studies, and here's a funny thing from that same article: like uh, Fiji bottled water said they used to have a campaign that said because it's not from Cleveland. So <laughs> Cleveland was like well, wait a second, you know, this is kind of a shot at us. And we're like, let's test Fiji bottle water and our bottle water. And they did test of both of them. And Fiji bottle water actually had a higher arsenic level than the tap water from oh, wow. Cleveland. Because the standards actually for tap water are higher. Now, are there issues with tap water? Yeah. But we need to address those issues. $31 billion was spent on bottled water in 2018. Yeah. And if you invested that money to... You know, you can, for less money every year, you can invest money into our infrastructure where there is problems to make it better. But yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think it was like for $25 billion a year, you can invest in and in, in fix these infra- water infrastructure problems. But once again, this is, you can, I, if you're just a guy, you know, when you're out here and you're just a guy spewing out facts and you haven't connected with people, what's it matter? And that comes back to, once again, go out, get dirty with one pick trash with people, you create this bond and then they'll be more apt or open to listen to what you have to say. Yeah. And it's otherwise memorable. knowledge means nothing. And facts mean nothing. If you've made no connection, mm-hmm. why does it matter? Right. You know, we all have guys like, I don't, if you don't trust this guy, you just are annoyed by him. Right. <laughs> it's like yeah, you're exactly. You're like, why, what do I care? He has to say, but yeah, you create that bond. Yeah. Well, I think it comes back to what you said is it helps close the loop. I mean, if you're a young kid and you're helping pick trash out of the the river, there's a chance that, you know, you putting things back in the river has greatly decreased. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you stop, guys have stop buying bottled water, right? What's that? You guys actually have classrooms on these barges, right? Or one classroom? Is that? We have one classroom. It's also our, our, our kind of our living room too. Um, okay. But uh, it's nice. And, and this barge was built um, eight years now, which seems crazy because we used to live on a barge. It wasn't as nice. It was like infested with like brown recluse spiders. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> barely had much potable water. You know, it's one of those things you don't think about. We only had about... 1300 gallons of potable water in the tank that it could hold. And that goes pretty fast, you know, between 10 crew members showering and yeah, right. New dishes. Like, um, cause it's, you know, it's hard, you know, you can't just, you've got to pull over and, or have a barge with water tanks, fill your tanks back up. It's not like you just hooked up to a water system. Whereas now we hold over 30,000 gallons of potable water. We each have our own room. Um, spider situation, um, has been, you know, Literally, we had like we, and you can't. The way you catch these brown recluses, you'd have to have these glue traps. Yeah. And they had a contest. Like, if you find, if you get a tra- trap with like five spiders on it, we'll send you like fly <laughs> <laughs> traps. And I think we had one with like thirteen or a du- like. Oh like, man! Like, holy cow! Like those things know, are nasty too. They deteriorate your skin when they bite you, right? Yeah, they like they have some kind of poison. And luckily, no, you know the good thing about them is they're they're called reclusive for a reason. They, but they'd be hide. They would like cardboard and hide in corners. And mm-hmm. like, uh, they were just, if our wives listen to this podcast, they're going to be Maybe. freaking out. Well, see Rex and I like in, in California, we're like in the Valley here and supposedly Brown recluses are here, but I've never seen one, but we have black widows, like no one's business. Black yeah. widows everywhere. Black widows right. everywhere. I'm just trying to boost, get the viewers, you know, spiders, you know, maybe talk about something like, you know, <laughs> We can talk about the crazy stuff that we found. That's all. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, you guys have yeah. found what's some crazy what's stuff. What's the crazy stuff? Uh, in Paducah, Kentucky, uh, you know, a volunteer found an 1863 uh, mortar shell from the Civil War. Oh, wow. Did you guys keep that? Well, uh, he had left it. And then we put on our Facebook page and people were like, hey, you need to get that checked out. It could still be live. Oh, shit. And uh, so... At this point, the guy had recalled, had called me, and he'd came back and got it. Yeah, because he had, you know, well, you know, you had found it. So I had to reach back out to this guy, say, "Hey, you need to contact the authorities. That can still have black powder. It can still be live." He's like, "Okay, I'm out of town right now. When I get back, <laughs> so I get a text, literally, um, like a, a week later, and it's on a Tuesday. And I remember it's on a Tuesday because of the text, and it said." Hey, uh, I called the authorities. It was what I thought it was, a Civil War mortar shell. They brought their bomb squad in, and they said, uh, you know, if it was live, it still had black powder. If it went off, they, they eva- first they evacuated the entire apartment complex. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Bomb squad come, and uh, said they said if it went off, it would have blown up half the building, and then the Texas says, how was your Monday? How was your Monday? <laughs> Uh, so, you know, uh, that was a pretty crazy find. I mean, we find like Chad's got one of the largest messages in a bottle collections. Um, wow. well found, you know, crazy. Oh, really? Mess. That's crazy. Uh, there's like been a, like a love letter, like from someone that like, yeah, from the bottle, never, never got to the person it's supposed to go to. Yeah. Some that are funny to some that are like, to some that are pretty deep and heavy. Um, wow. It's like the notebook on the, 
Yeah, crazy. Mike, do we lose you? I'm back. You got me? Okay, good. cool. So like yeah, some, good. there was like, there's been a couple, like, in fact, one of our sponsors came on. Are you hearing me? Yeah, I yeah. can hear you. Yeah. So uh, he came out with his first cleanup and he literally, you know, like some crew members, a couple still have never found a message in a bottle. So that's like, you know, we Oh, do, that's like the thing. Okay. Well, if you talk trash about what you found for the day, because a lot yeah. of times on stage we go out, we have like a, a hierarchy of what trashes were. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's like this guy comes out literally like the first 10 minutes, finds a message in a bottle. He's like, message in a bottle. I'm like, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and I guess Chad was there and he's just he's a really nice, nice guy and he He's like, there's something in it. And he goes to start pouring out. I goes, Chad, no, no, don't do that. It was like ashes that someone of someone's like parts uh, of the uh, from that bottle with the message. It was an urn, an urn and a bottle. Yeah. Wow. wow. Have you guys ever found like a treasure, golden treasure? Uh, never golden treasure, but <laughs> Cincinnati, the most cash ever known was found was in Cincinnati on the Ohio River. A buddy of ours found a dry bag with a nine millimeter in it, a wallet with about two hundred twenty dollars cash and a cell phone, and obviously had to contact the authorities finding the gun. And they, wow, uh, wow. they re- returned it to the guy, and the guy called up and thanked John. It must have just fallen out of his boat or canoe or whatever. And, oh, wow. You know, but it had that. That was kind of crazy. Uh, We've had like old paintings from like uh, working in Cedar Rapids. The whole entire town was flooded, but paintings from a museum that were flooded out that we had, we returned. Um, uh, safes, like in Cincinnati, with the excavator picked up a safe from our the guy that runs. He runs a fleet there locally. A captain, really nice guy, but one of those guys is super knowledgeable. I pick up this. We didn't know what it was at first. It just looked like a big kind of cement block almost mm-hmm. casing. And put on the barge, and it was huge. And uh, he goes, oh, that's a safe. And he knew by the design of it, it had concrete in the middle. That, and, and it, Anyways, he knew, he, was, he knew a lot about safes. And he was like, this has got to be from like the 1920s. Wow. Or before. Um, and it was huge. Like it must have weighed at least 25, 3,000 pounds. Yeah, who cracked the safe? Well, I had a hole drilled out the bottom of it. Oh. But you can see where, like safes have like these – like it's almost like a staircase and it locks from the inside, but so people can't pry it. The door. Mm-hmm. He knew more about, it. I, I can't get into the, the mechanics of it, but um, there's a couple of theories. One, uh, the first thing we thought was what's cool is in Newport, Kentucky is actually the first attempt of like Las Vegas. It's right across from Cincinnati. Um, and there's huh. a lot of mob activity there. In fact, the Tommy gun was invented in a place called Newport, Kentucky, right across yeah, the interesting. river. But the other theory is that near there looked like an old steamboat wreckage um, right by there. So either one, but someone, there, the hole was drilled out on the bottom of it and somebody had gotten into it. Wow. So someone might have got in there and took already took the, the loot out of there. Yeah, I, you know, hundred years been, ago or so. It could have been a hundred years ago. It could have been yeah. more recent. Who knows? You know, but that's a pretty cool thing. There's been thirteen prosthetic legs found. Oh, wow, there, there's something you wouldn't think. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, there's been a, a, a Chad once found a surveillance tape from a bank robbery in Minneapolis. Oh, wow. uh, literally found like, but the robbers had 
wrapped it in duct tape and saran wrap so they had protected the tape. What? Chad's like, like, I'm a detective now. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, so he calls the police and he thinks it's a big deal. And the police, he said, literally backed up. The detective backs up, opens his trunk. He's like, just throw it in the trunk and then just just take off. (laughs) Doesn't care what happens. You know, just like we found the uh, crazier thing, like uh, bodies a couple times, remains of bodies, like oh Oh, gosh, I didn't think about that. On the Tennessee River in Chattanooga was with a kind of a, a well, it's always a weird story, but uh, found a body that hadn't been in there too long floating. Oh, oh my gosh, that's that's got to be hard. <laughs> it, it's crazy, you know. You think until it act, it's just such a weird thing. I don't even know. It, it was a weird, eerie thing, and we were just doing an open house, like on a Sunday bringing people out in Chattanooga to check out our barge. And, oh, wow. And this cop was like, hey, I think there's, we have reports of a body out there. Could you go check? And I go to go look, and then there's a cop on the other side of the river in Chattanooga, and he just weighs you down. He gets in the boat, and he's on a mic uh, or a C, you know, his radio, and he's like, keep going this way. And then we came across it, and he flips the body over, and it was some, some woman, and then uh, – until like the fire rescue boat got there and they pulled her out of on a gurney. But that was pretty, that was really eerie. And wow. At least, I mean, at least in, I, when you said you there, you had an open boat, open house. I thought like there was all these guests on the boat and there's literally a body that flowed up by the barge. So at least it was just you going out and checking yeah, it out. Not no, like, not like, vol- not like big volunteer day and someone like, no. body. Well, here, here's a more, here's a more, uh, here's a story that's, it's more uplifting. Um, but we're in St. Louis and, uh, working and we're just getting our new bars. We have built on kind of getting finished by the carpenters. And this lady comes over and yells, we're on the riverfront. And the lady's like, Hey, um, this guy just jumped off the bridge, the Eads bridge there anyways. But we're like, Okay. And she's like, do you have boats? Kind of knowing the answer. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I yelled at other guys. I'm going to get in a boat and the current there is ripping. Like in St. Louis, there's no more locks and dams. And, and for ripping current, it's like six. It doesn't seem like much, but it's, it gets pretty big there. And it's, and I'm like, this guy's gone, you know, mm-hmm. he's not going to be there. So I'm out and I'm looking around. And luckily these other guys, my other buddy on the crew and two of the carpenters got a boat them because I'm looking, she's yelling. I can barely hear her. I don't see the guy. I think he's gone. And she's trying to point. And then the other boat, the guy saw, and he was hanging on to like a, like a metal, like light fixture at the bottom of the bridge. So I think he had, I mean, he had had to jump off intentionally and then just had this awakening of like, I don't want to die. Yeah. And, and was holding this picture. Wow. And luckily those other two carpenters in the boat, because to try to steer this John boat and pull this guy out, would have been pretty difficult. And they pull him out, drop the cops have been notified, dropped him off. And just, it was crazy. Cause we literally dropped. First of all, I said he fell, which had to be a lie. Yeah. Right. No way. And dropped the guy off. And, uh, the cops are there and they're just, they just kind of like, okay, get out of here. We're just kind of like, whatever. And then we just literally get back to the boats and we go back. And I think we had just like got done with the cleanup and just, 
we would just like, by the time it happened, I think we just like started to drink our first beer. Yeah, as I say, yeah. grab a beer after that. Yeah, Holy exactly. cow. Just I think rescued we just, someone. Just... Yeah, it was just a crazy, that was a crazy, that's one of the crazier stories. Um, Man. But yeah, anyways, just crazy, but. Yeah, but so many cool, so many wild things. I I want to talk a little bit about the volunteer opportunities. So I'm sure you guys do like corporate volunteers, but also if it's just one person, two people, how do, how do they go through that process if they want to volunteer and help? Assuming, you know, after all this lockdown, stay in shelter stuff is over. For you sure. We just, volunteers going? we, uh, there's a lot of opportunity. Like uh, when we go into towns, we'll usually set a few dates, typically towards the end of the week. Um, based on what's going on um, as far as, you know, registering to, to be involved in the cleanup. A lot of our cleanups are through, through our, our sponsors. Uh, we'll set dates and coordinate dates with them to get involved. Um, so if you have any questions, just to go to our website and email or contact us at livinglandsandwaters.org. If you want to get involved, you know, to, to people coming out and, Hey, I just want to check it out for a little bit. Awesome. We'll definitely put that stuff in the show notes as yeah. well. And donations as well, too, from the site. That's the best place for people. Uh, yeah, just livinglandsandwaters.org. Um, just check it out. There's a You can click to donate and um, appreciate it. You know, we, we feel like we get a lot done for, for what, what we get for as far as money. Uh, since we started, we picked over 10.7 million pounds of trash. Wow. wow. And, and, uh, but that's with a lot of help, you know over 110,000 volunteers to help us. We plant over 1.5 million trees, had a lot of kids on our educational workshops. That's all free. We even have scholarship funds for a lot of these schools. Don't have the funding. We pay for their buses or pay for them to get a sub to make it possible. So there's for them to come out and, 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 and have that opportunity to come out on these field trips. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, awesome. we'd love the work that you guys are doing and definitely, you know, encourage people to, Go check out your guys' website. You're, uh, one of the things I really loved about your website is the slideshow that kind of shows stuff throughout the years. I thought like it really mm-hmm. gives gives a good um, overview of what you guys have been able to accomplish throughout time. So that's uh, definitely recommend that as well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for reaching out to us. Really appreciate it, man. It's it's really cool. Really cool, cool thing, you guys. So you guys just highlight positive different things that are positive, and that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Just trying to make a difference and highlight people out there that are taking action, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Trying to, there's so much, you know, the news is 90% negative. So trying to be a source of hearing all the positive, because there is so much good news and positive that goes on in our world that flies under the radar. So for sure. Yeah. I'd be able to highlight people that are doing cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Make it, make positive cool again. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get some t-shirts that say that. <laughs> I'll send you one, Mike. Well, yeah. uh, put your that's, credit on there yeah that'd be, uh, that'd be dope you guys yeah. take it all good man yeah right cool. thanks so much for your time man yeah, yeah i really appreciate yeah, it never, keep yeah, on doing it throw the rest of your week man all right, all right take care to be safe yeah, yeah you too if you like today's episode you can find more information at mycorneruniverse.com and don't forget to subscribe thank you have you heard of light therapy What about photobiomodulation, a fancy way of saying light therapy? Or stem cell activation. That's right, I said stem cells, the big buzzword in health that no one can afford. Well, you can afford it now. 
head on over to my corner of the universe forward slash support the show and click on LifeWave. They offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. You can't beat that. So head on over to my corner of the universe forward slash support the show and get started today.